Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week, this week on the nonprofit newsfeed, of course, brought to you by Whole Whale. Well, we're talking about big moves in the nonprofit meets AI space. You've heard us talking a lot about OpenAI, but there's a, a new, well, new to us in terms of the partnership AI uh, moving into it. But first, uh, Nick, how's it going? Anything new on your side? George, it's going good. New York has both gotten its first taste of snow and first inklings of spring since we've last spoken gear not for St. Patrick's Day here. But to your point, we have the first big story on today's podcast is that as reported by TechCrunch, Eleuther AI and the Eleuther AI Community Research Group is starting a nonprofit research institute branded the Eleuther AI Institute. And this could have significant implications for safe, safe and ethical AI development as this institute works on large language models uh, within the open source space. So this institute will be funded by donations and grants from various sources, uh, including other AI startups and former tech CEOs, uh, which will allow the organization to engage in longer and more involved projects than previously possible by just volunteer work. So by formalizing as a nonprofit, Eleuther AI will be able to build a full-time staff and focus on some large language model work similar to those implemented via chat GPT and devote more resources to ethics and other safety features. Uh, the foundation aims to remain independent and is very clear about that. However, there are donations and commercial entities, and George, I think we'll go into that. Uh, we've seen some of the nonprofit models in this space collapse. But this announcement is particularly significant given the results of other failed nonprofit initiatives in AI research and or nonprofits that have then become very <laughs> for-profit. But I think at the, 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 the top of the podcast here, George, we haven't talked a ton about AI in depth on this podcast, but I think if you take away one thing from this podcast episode, it's that all those people in your Twitter feed or whatever tech circles you're in are talking about AI for a reason. And whatever you think about it, it is here to stay. And it behooves you and your organization to understand how it's going to impact not only content writing, but how it's going to shape the web and digital spaces and how people interface with technology in a very significant way. So George, what's your take on this announcement? I'm happy that we have a podcast where we can talk as long as we want for as many times as we want, because there's so much to unpack here. Just in this particular article, you know, what I'm seeing is that there is a very direct and immediate response to the fact that OpenAI, uh, which originally started as a nonprofit in 2015, funded as a 501c3, switched over as a capped for-profit, but switched over all of their 125 employees circa 2019 and proceeded to then take on funding, which, as we said before, is sort of like an interesting point as though you had your cancer research organization and then suddenly you realized there was profit to be made and you said, well, let's switch over to a for-profit model so we can take on investors and grow. Now, 
the thing that I'm seeing here is a direct seeming response to that. You know, the Illusory AI Foundation had already been a foundation for some time, but they were trying to build a LLM, a large language model similar to GPT-3, and they have a similar size in terms of number of attributes behind this neural net training model, which is a fancy way they train this new computer on a bunch of data, but then they wanted to turn it more toward the public, right? And the current problem here is the amount of cloud and compute power needed to generate something like GPT-3 is, is sizable, and it can frankly dwarf the available budgets of an organization. And so this is kind of why you see uh, these partners, uh, Stability AI, Hugging Face, and Canva all kind of getting behind this new nonprofit. Because one of the things that experts in the field are beginning to realize is that there are only going to be a handful of winners. There are only going to be a handful of winners going forward in terms of where we turn to for this type of at least uh, language AI, uh, narrow AI for language processing and communication. And it's pretty important that it's not just one controlled by Microsoft or one controlled by Google, but one should be controlled by nonprofits. There's a long, rich, robust history of nonprofits and technology making sure that there is an open source option the underlying levels. You can look back to projects like Linux if you want and realize how many things were built on it. But at its core, it wasn't owned by one organization or another. And so where OpenAI has failed, honestly, to, to do this, and for many reasons, it's, it's tough to fund something of this size. You know, they torch like $3 million a day in terms of processing. Uh, to to get to scale while technology catches up, it's important that there is a strong, viable nonprofit player. I think this is important. Nonprofit player, which yes, has ethics in mind here. And for nonprofits, we're going to cover that. Is this uh, you know, is this a fad or is this the future type of piece? And right now we are in the the wave of sort of both and it's hard to parse that out and you know coming off of crypto wave of hysteria of being like if you're not on the blockchain you don't exist well this is this is different uh because of how much the point of contact the interactions with your day-to-day -day, uh are fundamentally accelerated so it's saving time and improving and increasing output when done correctly and i'll just leave it there yeah, George, I think you bring up a great point. I <laughs> think there's so many different threads here. Uh, but to your point about the nonprofit model really benefiting open source knowledge of how these systems work, uh, how they can be used for good, and how they can be used for bad. Like it's clear, like all technology has both benefits and potential harms. Uh, the Eleuther AI community on their about page says that at Eleuther AI, we believe that these technologies are both highly promising and potentially dangerous. However, quote, we firmly do not believe that decisions about the future of these technologies should be restricted to the employees of a handful of companies that develop them for profit 
Research into interpretability and alignment is of the utmost importance for AI governance as increasingly powerful machine learning systems are being developed and deployed. It is crucial that independent researchers are able to study them. We therefore ask to see advanced access, ensure ability to uh, sturdy models um, are not restrictive, and educating the general public um, as well as researchers and academics alike about the capabilities, limitations, and risks with these technologies. George, something that I do in kind of a side project is I think about benefits and harms of social media as a technology that's kind of shaped the world, both in really positive ways and in really negative ways. And I think that this kind of technology comes with similar benefits and risks in different ways. And I think what makes me excited about this particular project is just the acknowledgement that the sooner that researchers are able to access this kind of technology and study them and potentially offer uh, remedies for some of the shortfalls of this technology and study its impacts on people and planets and societies, which is what social media has had. Social media has dramatically changed our societies. And I think this technology will as well. The sooner researchers are able to go in and really be able to understand both the technology and the way that it can interface with various different contexts, uh, the better we all are. So this is a really um, exciting project for that reason. Yeah, I am. I'm so like on the wait list. I'm I'm here for that. I think coming back to what nonprofits should be paying attention to with, as you said, the destructive potential of social media. We saw it fold. We saw it happen. You know, we saw the early days where the strategy for nonprofits was let the intern manage the Twitter and Facebook and Insta and what have you. And that evolved into full-time positions, roles, communication adoption. That is what I kind of see right now at its infancy. Right now, at many nonprofit organizations, there are entry-level employees coming in fresh out of college where they were using these tools to write their papers and augment their work now about to apply that in whichever way they see fit to produce content for your organization. What I want to give you pause is that using this tool without guidance is akin to the way we let a generation ago, a lot of young people operate social media messaging. The, the truth is there's the right way and wrong way to use this tool. And just because you used it once doesn't mean you are an expert in it. What's more, it's developing, you know, the question of ethics and bias in the system are undeniable bias in bias out. This is trained on indiscriminate amounts of data from conversations, articles, and communications on the internet, which is, uh, disproportionately written, uh, by people of power, uh, people of certain descents and that bias is baked in there. How do you operate on top of that platform is important. And I'll, I'll say for, for us, we're working, and this is just, you know, a shameless plug for us trying to get as many nonprofits adopting this technology as possible. We're working with our clients and partners and friends on how you custom build and purpose build not only the tool, but the process by which organizations use and implement this. I have one other thought and I, I shared, I shared this, I was actually at the fundraise up conference in New York. Last week, talking about AI, it was a lot of fun to be there. And the thing I tried to land with at the end was the following stat. 
there is one of these tools out there that are built on a GPT model called Jasper AI. And they were in their marketing and communications sort of boasting about the fact that roughly 15 billion words were created on that platform via AI in 2022. Just 2022, 15 billion words were created. As a matter of context, to put 15 billion into frame, 4 billion words comprise Wikipedia. And so Nick, to your point about like what the potential destruction is here is the capacity for mis and disinformation is becoming exponential. When this tool is put into the hands of somebody who doesn't have the best interests of the public in mind, and frankly, all I can see as the solution to the fact that the genie has been let out of the bottle is to make sure as many nonprofits know how to use this genie to accelerate their work and output to counteract that. Yeah, George, I think that's well said. I've, I've nothing to add there. I think this is something we're going to be continuing to talk about on this podcast. And as a matter of fact, uh, we are going to keep talking about it on this podcast even because our first story within the summary is news related to this. And that is from, this comes from Tech HQ that open prices have leaked and that they are no longer a nonprofit. As we've mentioned, OpenAI moved away from that nonprofit model. But the the company is now uh, releasing prices for uh, GPT-4, so kind of like the most up-to-date, like API accessible uh, language model and pricing is coming in hot at over $200,000 for license access to this. So it's uh, kind of another data point in some of the exclusivity around understanding how these tools work that Eleuther AI is combating. But again, just another kind of data point here on the open AI side. George, uh, what's your take on this? It's just a continuation here of explaining as we see the prices that they're beginning to charge and how they're trying to uh, take over the source of the AI model, similar to the way that if you actually check, most websites and hosted environments all lead back to either AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, which is Microsoft's solution. And they're racing to get this built into, you know, your email, your, uh, your project management stack, your communications level. Like they're trying to get their API adopted by as many people as possible and enterprise level things to build it in as the go-to source, right? This is what we saw with cloud computing. And this is AI on demand, and this is how they are uh, directly monetizing it and as fast as possible. Because the interesting thing here is that they don't see the actual underlying tech as defensible because of the way that, you know, papers have been published and the understanding of the way this is trained and not to overcomplicate it, but we're just using words like large language model, neural net, and an approach of machine learning that's been around for a while, but it, they just finally put it together in a very dynamic way. I think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to package a lot more of this. You know, you enjoy listening to it. Let us know. We'll have more episodes. I intend to chase down some nonprofits that can speak eloquently to this problem as well, uh, because it is, it is going to be this year and year to come strong. Absolutely. We'll put a pin in that, but absolutely we'll revisit this down the road. Uh, but George, 
I'm going to take us into our next story. This comes from the esteemed The Nonprofit Times. And the title of this article is ESG Investment Returns Getting Questioned. And The Nonprofit Times is reporting that a new report in the annual endowment and foundation survey from CapTrust Financial Advisors talks about Nonprofit boards are beginning to question the value of ESG investments. ESG stands for environmental and social governance. It's kind of marketed as you would as a, a socially responsible investment portfolio option. But it would seem that ESG impact and mission aligned investing fell 1% during 2022 to 37% among uh, these uh, you know, nonprofits with endowments as markets overall fluctuate. The article does say that ESG investing is here to stay, and uh, but does talk about the limitations of investing in ESG funds because of potential market risk. George, we've talked about ESG on this podcast before. I think we're both of the mind that there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a greenwashing marketing lingo going on there. ESG funds aren't always exactly what they purport to be, even though socially responsible financial investing on the surface does seem like a good thing. What do we take away from this? We're starting to see a little bit of the hint of, in just raw numbers, the, the skeptical nature of, will this return, you know, return on my investment, our ROI? We're talking about a bundle of, of companies that had been branded and certified by any you know, the powers that be in terms of whether or not you're ESG. Now, as that, you know, continues and you're looking at it, yes, we have this idea that like, okay, we can put our money into this and realize that we're ESG forward. My critique at the moment, and I, at some point we'll have somebody who can really sort of challenge or, or you know, uh, or align is that I don't love this idea of utilitarianism merging together E, S, and G in this way, and then saying, hey, here's an investment strategy. Uh, put another way, I don't know how you uh, value and weigh uh, diversity in governments with your environmental impact. And I get very uneasy about trying to put point systems that equate those things. If you want an environmentally friendly index, you should have that. If you want a you know, socially governed, if you want a DEI first company that's managed that way, like that is another thing. Social justice first, fine. Merging them together into a cocktail of point systems that end up having you thinking you're helping the environment by getting money into Exxon confounds me. And I think there's a bit of this sort of skepticism, like, oops, you know, this seems like it was like, more brand than than impact uh, potentially, but investors are still interested in it. Like I think that is a valuable place to start. Yeah, George, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I will say for those especially interested in this, uh, look to ESG as being a point of political contention in the upcoming uh, political cycle. Certain certain folks would tell you that Wall Street has completely gone woke, um, and it won't get into that. But uh, I think. Uh, I think people who look beyond the numbers might be a little skeptical of that argument. <laughs> uh, but moving along, uh, we want to highlight this from Bite Colorectal Cancer. Full disclosure, 
fight CRC, fight colorectal cancer, is a beloved whole whale plant. The White House has declared March as Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. So this comes via proclamation um, from the uh, Biden administration signed by President Joe Biden. Firstly, Jill Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris uh, recognizing um, their continued support in the fight against colorectal cancer. Uh, this is just an awesome win for an awesome organization, supporting an awesome cause, helping folks um, in the colorectal cancer awareness community. Uh, George, this is, a, this is a bit of good news. Great to see some uh, responsive governance here and a win for a nonprofit doing amazing work. Yeah, and they said, you know, they, they mentioned how they, along with 41 other organizations, wrote a letter to, to Biden, but they have also had very robust presences uh, on the mall talking about and raising uh, the, the footprint of awareness for colorectal cancer. So we, we like celebrating this win. I love it when we see uh, a client win in the news as well. Absolutely. A great win. Um, and another win uh, comes from those nonprofits that made Fast Company's most innovative nonprofits in 2023. So Fast Company has given Behold Fast Collective the number one spot, quote, for reinventing how capitalism can help the climate crisis. Um, so this is the organization that spun out of the Patagonia announcement that transferred its voting stock to the Patagonia Purpose Trust and the other 98% of its ownership to the whole Fast Collective the nonprofit will use Patagonia's annual profits, estimated to be in the range of $100 million, to fund nature-based climate solutions, like preserving wildlands, as well as grassroots environmental organizations, um, and potentially doing some political advocacy work on behalf of the environment. I mean, this was big news when it happened, so being recognized at the top of this Fast Company list. Uh, George, anything else to add here? Just two things. One... Fast Company does a bunch of these. So does Forbes. So could you. This is a very, very clever press tactic for putting out a summary of based on what heuristic is up to you of who the top are for X. Um, and it can get you attention and uh, also shine light on other great groups like uh, IFA or the International Fund for Animal Welfare, which made it into the 10th spot on this list. Also, beloved client of Whole Whale. And we loved seeing them get that shout out uh, in there as well. Absolutely. Great to be great to be in the top. Awesome to be the best and uh, celebrate those who made it. Uh, so, George, that's a that's a bit of good news. But how about some more good news for you? Yeah, what do you have? All right. I have a feel good story. And uh, this one comes from USA Today, and it's about how a 12-year-old's nightlight nonprofit helps foster kids. So Amelia Lisao, who's only 12 years old, uh, has created a nonprofit organization which helps provide nightlights to kids in the foster care system. Um, and she's quoted as saying, sometimes foster kids have to leave in the middle of the night because of neglect, abuse, or drugs, said Amelia, who is now in the sixth grade. Having that nightlight makes it more comfortable in a new house when they may not know anybody and makes them feel more safe. Um, the middle school uh, that she attends um, has raised enough money to donate more than 500 nightlights to foster kids across Arkansas, according to the organization. And 
the organization uh, says it's reached uh, all 50 U.S. states and nine countries. Uh, I love this story. I love to see kids get involved in nonprofit, entrepreneurial, social impact type causes. Yeah, I'm just I'm excited for the next generation of nonprofit leaders. And uh, those kids hit the ground running, doing um, amazing stuff for a, a good cause. I'm getting getting nightlights to kids who need it. Um, and it's those those little things, those little tokens, I think that sometimes um, can really help someone acknowledge um, what they're going through. And we at Whole Whale, we work with um, some phenomenal organizations helping uh, foster kids as well. Uh, so this is a cause that's near and dear to our hearts. So just an all around good story. And I would say to put in the back of your mind, this is the net result of listening and responding and working hand in hand with your community and understanding what those tiny things are. Because when you look at uh, a child in the foster care system, what you see can be different than the reality there. And those small interventions can actually help people be seen and make the bigger difference. So I challenge you, what is your nightlight? What is the nightlight at your organization? What is that small thing that lets your stakeholders be seen that would have been missed? Had you just been looking at a, a sheet of numbers, which I'll just be honest, I love me a sheet of numbers, but I also like nightlights. I want to do a final note here that we've got an upcoming Google ad grant training. We do this one time a year because frankly, it takes a ton of work because our team works alongside select nonprofits and organizations that are interested in working hand in hand to go from zero to 60 on unlocking the Google ad grant 10K a month. We show you exactly what we have done and do and have learned as an agency and build that capacity into your team. We have, as of recording, I think 10 or 11 spots left, and that's it. We cap the top, and that starts uh, the week of March 20th. It is coming up. I would recommend you at least take a look at it to see if it might be right for you or someone at your organization. And finally, Nick, a really critical question. What? Well. <laughs> no. What prize did the nonprofit organization that actually invented the knock-knock jokes uh, win? Do not know. The Nobel Prize. Oh, oh my God. It's good. It's really good. I'll let it sit. I'll let that ring. All right, friend. See you out there. See ya, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 